I think that the real opportunity in the market now is for there to be a great curator of education for students, meaning students right now are navigating this alone. They're looking at all the different opportunities out there and they're trying to make the choices and picking and choosing what to do. And they're going to have choice paralysis because as I said, there's so many options. If universities want to be on the pulse of innovation, they're going to help be the great curator, the influencer, the recommender to a student of the multi-different activities they can go about doing in order to equal higher ed. And they don't have to own all those steps. They just need to be the person that puts it in front of the student. Hello, and welcome to Ingenious U, the podcast where we talk about higher education, innovative practice, and leading edge thinking. Your host is Dr. Melissa Morris Olson. Higher education is undergoing a transformation which we have not seen in our lifetime. Prior to the pandemic, higher education was already experiencing disruption, which has only accelerated in this current moment. Nearly all colleges and universities are scrambling to redefine their futures, and for many, their very survival is now in question. In each episode of Ingenious U, we will talk with leading edge thinkers whose expertise and experience are at the forefront of this transformation. Our guests will include college and university leaders, faculty, innovators, and other professionals who are experimenting with new approaches and ways of thinking about higher education. Be sure to hit subscribe to Ingenious U wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss out on a single episode. And if you like what you hear, you can rate and review this podcast and share this with your friends and colleagues so they can join the conversation too. Ingenious U is a production of CHELIP, the Center for Higher Education, Leadership, and Innovative Practice at Baypath University. To learn more about CHELIP, visit our website at baypath.edu forward slash Chelep. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ingenious You. I am so excited to have as our guest today, Megan O'Connor. Megan is serving right now as an entrepreneur in residence at Kaplan, Kaplan, as you may know, is one of the world's largest and most diversified educational service providers. She's currently spearheading the development of Kaplan's new Boost program, which is designed for pre-college students to help bridge the gap between the college experience and work readiness. And I'm really looking forward to having her give us um, more details about Boost. Before joining Kaplan, Megan founded, led, and sold Clark, which is a provider of end-to-end operation software, education services, and coaching for teachers who want to grow their tutoring business. And then before Clark, Megan was a founding partner of New York-based startup studio, Human Ventures, and director of development at the nonprofit Pencils of Promise. Megan, welcome to to our podcast today. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Now, I typically start by asking our guests to tell us a little something about their life and their career journey. So I would love to know where your professional journey began and specifically, how did you wind up uh, in your current role, which sounds like a wonderful role, uh, entrepreneur in residence at at, uh, Kaplan? 
Well, I got to say, I do love my job as entrepreneur in residence at Kaplan, uh, abbreviated to EIR. And it kind of sounds like a made up job title, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> but the, <laughs> the role is really around being a startup founder within a large organization and helping them test new products um, in a startup way outside some of the legacy product lines. Um, I got my role as an EIR because I met Kaplan while I was actually the founder and CEO of a startup, as you mentioned, uh, Clark. And so it was a software company I ran for about four years and through that time got to meet the Kaplan leadership team. And once Clark was acquired, um, was able to come and join Kaplan and work on some of the new product lines, Boost being the first one. Wow, very, very fun. Um, now you're you're obviously a, a an entrepreneur. I, I almost said serial entrepreneur. I don't know how many times you have to start something before you, you get the title serial entrepreneur. <laughs> but you, you obviously have done that more than once. Um, at what point did you, uh, did you recognize that in yourself, that, that you were an entrepreneur and that's something that you just really like to do? Well, I will say that I had worked for a couple other entrepreneurs prior to starting my own company, which really contributed um, to my understanding that this is something that I liked to do, you know, was on um, the team at Human Ventures and Pencils of Promise. I think knowing that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, and like you said, I'm not sure if I'm serial yet, um, it, it stemmed from my desire to solve problems. And I think that noticing that there are oftentimes services, problems, societal needs that currently don't have a good solution was something that just, you know, keeps me up at night. And I think, you know, you're a founder of a company if you just find yourself obsessing around solutions and thinking around the experiments you could do to test if that would work or not. Mm, boy, and, and you certainly do have that in common with most entrepreneurs I know, which actually leads, yeah. which leads into my, my next question, which is as someone who has spent the, the, the past several years exploring the evolving needs of educators and learners, and then coming up with ways to address these needs. I'm curious what you see happening in the higher ed landscape right now, and, and specifically how you think the American higher ed system is doing. Well, this is probably the biggest shakeup of higher ed that we've seen um, since it began. And the interesting thing about the COVID world that we're in is it's shifted college all to be remote. Um, as we know, college is one of the largest investments an individual will make. Tuitions have certainly continued to increase over the years. But at the same time, remote learning has become really prevalent and online education typically is significantly cheaper than an in-person education. So we're seeing this big tidal shift as we have these legacy institutions being turned into online institutions and in doing so having to reimagine basically their business model. Um, there's a lot of consumers out there, you know, specifically parents and then students going into college who are thinking through, do I wanna pay these large prices to be getting an online experience, not get the on-campus, and, you know, some of the network effects that come with going to university. And so for the first time ever, universities are having to compete with the other online certificate or alternative universities um, that exist. And I think students are noticing that the higher ed path is not necessarily this very traditional one in the past, which is graduate from high school and then go straight into college. It can mean a lot of different things and it can take, you know, a step-by-step -step approach versus just go straight into a four-year institution. 
Mm. So that's that's a really interesting thing to think about. You know, in the in the United States, our American higher ed system really is organized almost uh, according to a pecking order, if you will. You've you've got the the schools at the very top who have really strong uh, reputation and brand recognition, like a Harvard, a Yale, and so forth. And and what you're suggesting almost makes me wonder if we're going to see a reordering of how consumers, students, and their family members um, make decisions and think about uh, colleges and universities. So does does what you're seeing level the playing field in any way? I think what we're seeing does level the playing field. And I think another thing that we're seeing with some of the research that we did at Kaplan before launching Boost is that for the first time ever, families and students are valuing uh, a first job guaranteed employment over a brand name college degree. And when you have the end in mind of a job and given the economy we're in now, I'm sure everyone can agree that's certainly the most important thing to be thinking about you know, it really changes the way that you value college. It's seen as this is the time in my life I should be unlocking the skills I need to become unemployed. And if you're thinking about it that way, well, then you've got to look through like what educational journey will get me into that job? Where can I get real world career exposure as I'm learning? So that way I am employable. So it levels the playing field, but it also really brings more value than ever to a skills-based learning environment. Mm, And that's what Boost is all about. So you brought us to my next question. Um, which really is uh, to learn more about Boost, which is the initiative, the brand new initiative that you're spearheading at Kaplan. And so maybe you could tell us a little bit about where the inspiration for this came from. Sounds like you've been, Kaplan did some pretty extensive research um, and, and a little bit more about what the specific problem is that you're trying to solve with, with and through Boost. You know, there was a lot of market forces going on in the education and career space before COVID. Um, One of them being that students were finding that their college experience didn't prepare them for their first job. And also that employers were feeling that the entry-level workforce that they were hiring in didn't have the tangible skills to hit the ground running day one and do that job. We were also finding that there were becoming more and more solutions to higher ed, whether that be boot camps, alternative universities, or a hybrid approach of taking great online courses from one of the big institutions. So all of this was happening pre-COVID. Then, you know, we all went into a, a quarantine world and people had to really think through, you know, what was the ROI on all of the investment they were making in higher ed? And when that really critical eye came to the ROI of education, we found that the things that were most important were understanding what professional skills you need to be successful and thinking through how do you make your time in higher ed most beneficial, have the greatest ROI in terms of your ability to enter the workforce. So yes, you're totally right. We've been looking at all this at Kaplan well before the world changed. And then when the world did change, we knew the time was right to launch this product boost, which is situated right after a student's high school experience before they make too many major decisions about college. And what it does is it helps students understand what kinds of careers they might be interested in and maps those careers to majors. So that way students can start college with the right foot in front and make sure they're picking intentional classes and experiences along the way. And then it socializes students to what it's like to have real jobs. 
Um, you know, internships were hard to come by even before the pandemic. Um, and that's when we used to sit within the, uh, you know, four walls of a company. They're certainly much harder to come by now. And so we were thinking how at scale can we make it easy for corporations to expose students to what it's like to work there? And how could we in a really easy way help students learn what it's like to have certain jobs? And that's what you'll get at Boost. You'll get some real world career experience learning from the individuals who have those jobs and get an inch deep uh, exposure to the, uh, the fields that, that you might be interested in working in in the future. Mm. So, so let me ask you to unpack that a little bit more. Um, who, who is this actually for? So is it for recently graduated high school students? Is it for students who are enrolled in college? How, how does it work? Well, it is designed for students who have graduated from high school, and I would say the largest cohort of students going through the program are those that have decided to take some time off this fall, or what quote-unquote has been called a gap year. Uh, we've reimagined the gap year here, if you will, and that just simply means that they are not jumping into university this fall, they're taking some time off while the world continues to be a little bit unstable. The second largest cohort of students we have in the program are students who are doing some online university this fall, whether that be full-time, part-time, or in an exploratory way, and are using the Boost program as a means of getting the information they need before picking a major. So I would say that Boost is designed for students right before they double down on their college experience. And um, we have a diverse set of students who are taking it this fall starting September 14th. And so if I were enrolled, and this is something, does a student apply and have to be accepted into it? And, and then if you are, what is the experience like? Maybe you can explain that a little bit more. Absolutely. So students do apply and you do so at boostbykaplan.com. And in the application process, we're not controlling for students who all got straight A's or got the pe best test score. We're looking for students who have shown that like they have a real interest in self-discovery and that they have understand where this could fit um, within their lives and help unlock some critical information around their education and career path. The application is not very long at all, but it is around that self-reflection piece I talked about. And once accepted into the program, students get into a cohort, a cohort of like-minded individuals also doing the same exploration. Um, the great thing about Boost is there's a ton of personalization, meaning you get one-on-one -on -one mentorship from a Kaplan educator who's taking you through the experience. It starts September 14th and is a 10-week long program. The majority of the work is asynchronous, which is great because it means you can fit in with your work schedule, your other school schedule, the other responsibilities you have in your life. But there are some live sessions, and those are great because in those live sessions, you get to meet people who have the jobs you want to have. You get to see what it's like to work at some of the cool companies that are of interest to you. And you get to engage with your peers who have, are your cohort going through this career exploration journey with you. Um, students can expect to do about 15 hours of independent work a week at home in addition to joining some of those live sessions. But like I said, the personalization helps you fit the program to what is best for you. And each day is getting recalibrated to make sure you're unlocking the best information with regards to what you're interested in, in terms of what you wanna be when you grow up. And how does the cost work? 
So the program actually for this weekend, Labor Day weekend, um, we have a special going on. So I recommend people take a, a good look at the website and see what that is. But uh, the cost of the program is $1,995. Um, that goes to the one-on-one -on -one mentors, the advising, um, and all of the great programming that has been developed. I will say that we do have scholarship options as well. So don't let cost be a reason that you don't apply for Boost. And you can do in the application process, just indicate if you'd like to be considered for financial assistant, assistance opportunities. Okay, now I don't, I, this may in fact air after Labor Day. So um, if folks miss that, I think the, the important thing is to be aware, for them to be aware of the scholarship opportunities and um, if somebody really wants to do this and they're not sure if they can make it work, I'm, I'm assuming they should reach out. Is that, is that the, yeah, yeah, correct. In the application process, you'll be able to see exactly how you can reach out and connect with us about your abilities to pay. And I will say the program starts September 14th. So I highly encourage people to getting their applications in as soon as they can. anything from the rapid deep dive into online learning that happened this spring at our college campuses around the world, it is this. High quality, effective remote learning requires a lot more than just the technology. If you want to create rich and robust remote learning experiences, it starts with understanding how people learn and how to design learning environments and how best to use technological innovation to bring about these kinds of experiences. Institutions of all types and sizes are now looking for digital learning professionals who know how to use learning and curricular design principles, technological tools and innovation, and analytics to create robust and rich learning experiences for their students. This is the future of learning, and the future is now. The Bay Path University newly launched Master of Science in Learning Design and Technology was created for just this purpose. The degree prepares professionals for what Inside Higher Ed recently called Higher Ed's hottest career field. In addition to learning about all of the breakthroughs in this new teaching and learning field, you will also gain hands-on experience designing innovative learning projects for real-time college classes and faculty. Upon graduation, you'll be highly marketable and ready to join this exciting new career field. The program is entirely online and can be completed in less than two years. For more information, visit the Bay Path University website at baypath.edu LDT. Applications are now being accepted for the October start. If you want to design the future of learning, take the next step. Visit our website today, baypath.edu LDT. about the research that you are, um, that you're privy to at Kaplan, what advice, if you were having a conversation in a coffee shop with a college student, what advice would you give him or her about how to make themselves uh, more career ready or what to do to make sure that when they are at graduation time, they will have options available to them so that they can actually uh, support themselves? 
Well, I would start by saying to any college student right now, I really feel for you because I know that you have worked so hard over your education to get into college and to have this, you know, experience that you've probably idolized for a long time. And I recognize that the world has changed a lot and a lot of the norms that came with college have gone away. So I will say I feel for you. The thing I would also say is that I'm also really excited for you because I think that the ways in which higher ed are changing right now are going to open up possibilities that we can't even see yet, ones that are going to be really exciting for students. In order for you to spend your time wisely over the next couple of years, what I would say to students is the best thing you can do is understand what are the skills that you're good at and then understand what are those skills in terms of prereqs for multiple different careers. What we're trying to let students know is just because you take the boost program or just because you pick a major, that doesn't mean you're picking what you're going to do for the rest of your life. I think we all know statistically many people change their job uh, along the way. I know I've changed mine. And the important thing to know it, that is that your strengths can be applied to multiple jobs. And if you collect strengths along the way, if you identify skills and refine them, then you can easily tell, all right, if I have you know, this core competencies in these areas, those are actually applicable to this other career field that's also of interest to me. So by doing that self-reflection and by knowing the skills that are, um, you know, things that are important to you and that you want to learn, you're actually opening yourself up to multiple different career paths long term. To keep yourself competitive and to make sure that you can stand out from the crowd, I do say that getting career exposure is the best way to do so. Internships, yes, of course, always the number one. In a COVID world, much harder to scale than ever before. So look to the online programs that can show you what it's like to have a job, whether that be, you know, some of the products we have at Kaplan. We have one with Parsons that shows you what it's like to be a fashion designer. We have um, medical ones that show you what it's like to be different types of medical professionals or the other great programs out there, even masterclass. Like learn from practitioners because they're the ones that are going to tell you what those jobs are really like. Are there some specific skills that are most in demand right now that that are common across multiple career fields? You know what I'm finding is most in demand by employers right now is actually professional skills. So it's not necessarily like a hyper tangible skill, like saying like can do coding in this language. It's more around do they have great decision making skills? Are they an effective communicator? Can they negotiate? Can they manage a team? Some of the soft skills that have sometimes fallen by the wayside in terms of having a class in college or, you know, are put within a job description as something you need to be good at. What employers are finding now is that successful employees who they can have move up the ranks internally are really strong in some of those, like I said, the soft skills or professional skills that have otherwise been ignored. We're finding things like creative writing or ability to be an effective communicator are important in jobs that you would think they would be in like business and marketing, but also just as critical to be a strong engineer. And as I mentioned, students who do the career exploration component of Boost will actually be really surprised when they hear from certain types of practitioners what skills they felt make them most uh, valuable within their role. It's not always intuitive. Mm. Boy, and I, you know, I wanna bring up here um, where the liberal arts fits in here because I know you're you have an undergraduate liberal arts degree from a very very good um, uh, university on the uh, west coast you also have an MPA from NYU's Wagner School of Public Service 
But I think one of the things um, that uh, we hear sometimes pushback from faculty, particularly faculty who teach in the humanities and the liberal arts, is that this focus on career readiness uh, doesn't take into account the value of studying in the humanities and the liberal arts area. And it, it strikes me that these soft skills are exactly the kind of skills that one uh, refines through study of the humanities and many of the liberal arts disciplines. So I'm, I'm curious if you have a, an opinion about that. I think you're totally right in that, you know, the humanities education is at risk if we continuously just value, um, you know, the tactical skills you need to enter the workforce. And there are is so much value that comes out of having a liberal arts degree. With that said, I think it is going to have to be reimagined because as we see, you know, students starting to think about college differently and as we continue to watch our economy change, it'll be harder to make the case for families and students that they should be paying tuition dollars for that type of education. Um, and so I think you hit it on the head that, you know, this type of education is often responsible for those strong professional skills that employers are finding are most important. But I think that the way that we're labeling them needs to change in order for it not to disappear. Meaning, you know, how can we think around tagging and credentialing some of these professional skills and show how they are represented within some of the liberal arts education. Because otherwise, right now, I think for the average day consumer of higher ed, it's hard to digest, you know, what exactly am I getting out of this liberal arts course major education? You know, how can I apply them to the real world? Doesn't mean it's not valuable, but I think that universities need to take that extra step and really educate the consumer. You know, this is a byproduct of having one of these types of educational experiences. Mm, for sure. And it, it, so let's say you're an English major or um, you have a, uh, a child who's graduating uh, as an English major. It, is what you're suggesting in part not just, you know, being able to reconfigure re uh, how mm -hmm. we think about this, but also does it make sense for somebody who's majoring in English to maybe pick up a credential? Um, to augment that English degree and to pick up a credential in a field that uh, is much more tangible in terms of that those skills that are in demand or, or are you suggesting something else? Well, I think what you suggest is certainly a positive thing to do. People should always be thinking about picking up credentials because it's super easy for an employer to be like, great, I understand you have this skill because you have this credential. Um, I'm suggesting that the higher ed community think about their liberal arts degrees and do a better job of helping students articulate to potential employers, you know, what skills they did get out of those classes. So they can say, hey, I happen to be credentialed in effective communication, um, negotiation, some of those things that we've talked about that employers really value. You know, that translation, I think that students from their institutions to make at this time. Um, but to answer your question about, you know, if I was an English major right now, I would be doing that analysis of, you know, what are the jobs out there that need effective communication as one of the core competencies and, you know, strong writing, because those are what those are the skills you got out of your university and those are building blocks of strong careers. Mm, absolutely. So any other insights or suggestions that you have for college leaders about how to increase the career readiness of their students? Is there anything else you think they should be doing? 
I think that they should not be afraid to help students be socialized to the new economy skills they need for the jobs of today. It's hard to make new curriculum based on the ever-changing workforce. Uh, you know, there's been so much innovation and it continues to get faster and it can sometimes be hard to backfill classes that represent the jobs that are needed today. Um, and so think about where can you do partnerships with companies? Where can you do partnerships with other educational institutions like Kaplan who can come on campus and provide a really unique experience for your students um, as a collective cohort so they can still have that network. They can still meet their, you know, uh, their peer students and do so in a way where they still get career exposure. Mm, boy, that's a great, great suggestion. Yeah. So thinking, thinking outside of the four walls of your institution and yeah. how you can partner with others um, to augment the traditional experience that your students are having. I really like that like that suggestion. Absolutely. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So one of the things that many um, college leaders are focused on right now, in addition to just surviving and getting to the other side of, of COVID, is how to build a more entrepreneurial culture in their institutions. I think if you do a certain yeah. innovation in higher ed, you will come up with thousands of hits just in terms of everything that's being written about and talked about. And most leaders know that things need to change and they're working hard to bring faculty and staff along. But as you probably know, it's one thing to wanna to do that, it's another to actually be successful. So as uh -huh. an entrepreneur, do you have any guidance for these leaders about how to nurture and sustain innovation um, either in themselves or in the broader campus culture? It's a good question. And I think I'm going to continuously default to my recommendation, which is to bring practitioners into the classroom. You know, that's what we did with Boost. The people who have these jobs are showing up to educate students. And they're not just, you know, senior executives at companies. I think it's important for students to know what it's like to be super successful in a career track, but it's just as important for them to know what it's like to be an entry-level employee or a mid-level manager and to see the different steps along the way. And so we make sure students get exposure to all the different level of practitioners, but just get people in the real world who are doing the real jobs in the classroom. Um, that continuously is reported by students as the type of exposure they needed to really understand a job and see if it was the right fit for them and to learn what they needed to do. So yeah, certainly if we can't get all students into the companies, let's get the companies into the classroom. Mm, so bringing the outside in, that's uh, that's yeah. to be a, a theme across a lot of what we're talking about today. So Megan, let me end with a signature question that we ask of every guest who comes on in Genius. And that question is this, what do you see ahead for higher education that you believe we all need to be paying more attention to in this current day and even in the midst of the pandemic? And where is the opportunity for innovation that's related to um, that, whatever that is? Um, that you think we need to pay more attention to? I think that universities need to be paying attention to the fact that students are going to take a hybrid approach to composing their higher ed experience. They're not going to learn everything from just one institution. They, and especially if we stay remote longer, that will continue to accelerate. 
And I really mean that. I think that they're going to take, you know, the bulk of classes from one primary institution, but they're going to augment it with other exploratory activities too, whether that be boot camps, alternative education, MOOCs, um, you name it. There's so much at students' fingertips right now. And when you think about, you know, them curating their education from home on their computers, they're going to explore beyond their traditional university. And I think that the best thing that university leaders can do is accept that that change will happen and think through how can you help your student curate their multifaceted higher ed approach? Um, Because it's not going to be one size fits all anymore. And it's certainly not going to be just a tangible four year university experience from one place. And so, and I, I, I totally agree with you. I I think that is a mind shift that um, is uh, that we're in the, that we're in the midst of just by watching the enrollment behavior of the students on my own campus um, they, they don't necessarily look at college, um, and this is at the undergraduate level, as you go to one place and you get everything you need from that one place. It's more a pulling of um, educational experiences from a wide variety of places, and then up mm-hmm. to the institution to uh, help pull it all together and help you make sense of it so that you can get that degree or you know whatever the, the outcome is that you are that you're looking for. So in terms of the opportunity to an institution, given that shift, what is the opportunity for innovation? Is there a way for a college or university to really distinguish themselves in terms of how they uh, position themselves within that network of experiences? Or do you have any thoughts about that? I think that the real opportunity in the market now is for there to be a great curator of education for students, meaning students right now are navigating this alone. They're looking at all the different opportunities out there and they're trying to make the choices and picking and choosing what to do. And they're gonna have choice paralysis because as I said, there's so many options. Mm. If universities wanna be on the pulse of innovation, they're gonna help be the great curator, the influencer, the recommender to a student of the multi-different activities they can go about doing in order to equal higher ed. And they don't have to own all those steps. They just need to be the person that puts it in front of the student. Wow. I love that. I think that's going to be your next startup, Megan. I think you're you're going to have to help a college or university think about how they can, how they can do that. Cause I think that's a really good idea. And I don't know of anybody that's owning that space yet um, becoming that great curator in terms of all of those experiences. So Wow, that is a great point to end on. So I am so grateful for your time and for the conversation, your great ideas. Um, Is there anything else that you would like to add uh, as we end the interview? Well, no, Melissa, thank you so much for having me. These are fantastic questions. And I'm certainly excited to see what happens this school year.